You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Does my life speak words to Jesus? Does my life speak words to Jesus? That's the question Stephen Krieger asked since his first day visiting persecuted Christians in the Middle East with open doors in 2016. Does my life speak words to Jesus? He said this, in the heartland of violent anti-Christian extremism, I was confronted with how openly and unashamedly Christians are displaying their allegiance to Jesus. Crosses are everywhere. They dangle from rearview mirrors. They hang on bracelets around wrists. They stand tall, fixed on top of houses. I encounter the most striking example on my second day, he says, less than 14 kilometers from the merciless armies of ISIS. I drove past a house that was painted inside and out with a mural of Jesus. That's right, just minutes from people who wouldn't think twice about burning them alive. Christians proudly choosing to communicate, I am with him. He said, I felt ashamed. I realized that while as a Christian in Australia, I'm at greater risk of being killed by a fallen coconut than I am by an extremist. I'm nowhere near this willing to be aligned with Jesus on a daily basis. He finishes, he says, in fact, outside of my time at church or with other Christians during the week, my words and actions, or lack of both, often don't declare, I'm proud to be with him. Oh Lord, I pray you will speak incredibly clearly through your word today. And I pray you will raise us up in incredible boldness for Jesus Christ. And I pray your Holy Spirit would help us to understand. There are some things in this world that should result in shame. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is never to be one of them, ever. Ever. There's nothing we would boast more greatly in. There's nothing that is more powerful. There's nothing that is more awesome. There's nothing that is more great and glorious than the reality that we are saved in Jesus Christ. And I pray by your spirit and by your power, you will help us to live in light of this truth. Move today, I pray, in every single service. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, we'll be looking at, Lord willing, verses 8 through 12 today in our next passage in this series. Our sermon title is Unashamed and Undeterred. Unashamed and Undeterred. Revive your people today, O Lord. Holy Spirit, move and speak and encourage greatly. In every single service we pray. 2 Timothy 1.8. Here, Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But share in suffering, notice, for the gospel, by the power of God. Do not be ashamed, Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed, Timothy, of me as prisoner in a lonely dungeon in Rome right now. In fact, Timothy, not only should you not be ashamed, but you should share in suffering. For what? For the gospel... How, Timothy, by the power of God. Notice the first word in verse 8. Notice, therefore. 
Therefore, it's a continuation of what came before it. Therefore, from verse 7, for God gave us the spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, Timothy, because God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control, therefore, the result is, therefore, the action is, therefore, then, the understanding is, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of Christ. Do not be ashamed, Timothy, of the gospel. Point number one today is that. I must not be ashamed of the gospel. I must not be ashamed of the gospel. Okay, remember, Paul's awaiting execution. He's about to pass the spiritual baton to Timothy. Passing the baton to Timothy, who's living in a culture that deemed the gospel as utter foolishness. Many, while hearing about this new way or this new faith, they would scoff and they would mock as they heard about some guy named Jesus who was crucified and they thought presumably was dead. They would laugh at that notion of following a dead, crucified Jew. Paul was anticipating the temptations for timidity and shame that Timothy would face. It's not saying in the original here necessarily that Timothy was ashamed. It's that Paul was anticipating he would be tempted with shame and timidity for his faith in the coming years. Just imagine in Timothy's context, imagine taking the gospel message into a society that loved human glory, that was filled with human pride, that was obsessed with human celebrity and achievement. Actually, I I can kind of imagine that kind of setting. And then you take the gospel into such a setting, and your message is, I have a message of death that leads to life, death in Christ that leads to life, death to self that leads to life. I have a message of humility and brokenness that leads to honor. I have a message of servanthood and becoming a slave of Christ that leads to greatness. I have a message of repentance and brokenness over sin that leads to salvation. And most will look at you like you have two heads. The message of Christ and the message of the gospel, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And then Paul continues in verse 8, take a look, he says, nor be ashamed of me, his prisoner. The social stigma and humiliation that was associated with being imprisoned. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And Timothy's spiritual father was imprisoned for his faith in this faith. You can imagine surrounding Timothy the, the, the scoffing and the mocking that would occur. The temptation for embarrassment and shame that he is so closely related to this guy named Paul who sits in a dungeon by himself awaiting death. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, he says. Notice, notice. Look carefully in this verse, in verse 8 here. Nor of me, Paul says, his prisoner. Again, the theme of being unashamed through chapter 1. Three times we're going to hear this. 
the relevance, obviously the, the, the determination to not be ashamed of the gospel. And I think what a word this is for us today, isn't it? What a word this is for us today in our current intense culture of shame as well here in the West now. Andy Crouch, great writer, theological writer, he said this shame is becoming one of the more dominant, one of the most dominant forces in the West. Shame is. We're living in a society, if you don't get with the program, you are shunned, you are shamed, you are ostracized, you are canceled. If you don't buy into the entire sexual revolution, there is no tolerance for anyone who doesn't play by those rules. Shamed, rejected, shunned, all over the place, all the time now, based on a new morality that the world's setting apart from the word of God. The temptation for shame is great. And you know what? I think one of the most relevant places this lands is for the man, woman, child who firmly believes in the biblical truth of the gospel message and loves Jesus Christ. The temptation for shame in that setting is probably nowhere greater than our current society right now and seems to be increasing with each week. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy, do not be ashamed of this. Paul's anticipating, and listen, and we anticipate. Young people, everyone, we anticipate. We anticipate. We anticipate the temptation to be ashamed of Christ and of brothers and sisters in Christ who follow Christ wholeheartedly. We anticipate this is upon us and coming. Do not be ashamed. For God has given us a spirit of of power and love and self-control. Paul was anticipating for Timothy. We anticipate for ourselves. We get ready. Strong in Christ. By the power of God. We could not be ashamed. Notice too in verse 8, Paul calls himself a prisoner. But look closely here. He says what? He says, nor be ashamed, nor of me, his prisoner. You see that right there? Paul is calling himself the Lord's prisoner. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. But wait, Paul, you're in a Roman prison. How can he be a prisoner in the Lord? Paul here, this is the booth of faith for us. Paul sees himself directly in God's care, even in prison, and actually as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Put there for reasons, again, fully explained, trusting this is God's will for his life under his sovereignty. How powerful is that? The hardest times we face, the most unforeseen circumstances we find ourselves in, we would never ask to be there. Here is Paul saying, I'm actually a prisoner of the Lord. So what a powerful moment here for Paul and for Timothy and for us. I must not be ashamed of Jesus. I must not be ashamed of the gospel, but here's a, here's a valid question for each of us right now. But am I? Am I ashamed of, of the gospel? Came across a few questions this week that helps us really answer the question. Am I ashamed of Jesus in our context currently? Some minor things that point out maybe some significant areas of deficiencies where we might be ashamed. Listen to these questions, and you can just go through them in your own heart and mind. 
Am I ashamed to read the Bible on the train, on the bus, on the airplane? Am I ashamed to place my Bible on my desk at work? Am I ashamed to pray with a brother or sister in public? Am I ashamed to speak out on issues that matter to Jesus so much? Am I ashamed to ever mention Jesus in a post on social media? Am I ashamed to thank God when I announce the birth of my child or celebrate events of grace? Am I ashamed to select, quote, Christian in religious views on my Facebook profile? Am I ashamed to mention the name Jesus when I'm with people who are not Christian? Am I ashamed to thank God for my meal when people who aren't Christians are present? Am I ashamed to communicate my disapproval when a colleague or friend blasphemes the name of my Lord Jesus? Am I ashamed to display my faith in a way that would be visible to guests when they enter my home? Am I ashamed to explain that the reason for my goodness, maybe not swearing, being honest at work, is not because I'm nice, but because I love Jesus? Am I ashamed to meet with other Christians in public gatherings outside of church, maybe the Christian group at university, the lunchtime prayer meeting at work or school, Am I ashamed of the gospel? I must not be ashamed of Jesus, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This takes us to point number two. I must not be ashamed. In fact, Paul goes on to say, I must share in suffering for the gospel. I must not only be not ashamed of the gospel, in fact, I must share in suffering for the gospel, again, in verse 8, therefore, again, Timothy, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but now we see this, but share in suffering for the gospel. It's almost like Paul's like, not only do we go on the defensive, we're not letting shame into our lives, but now we go on the offensive where we're willing to participate in the suffering of Christ for the gospel, by the power of God. You see that? It's like, not only am I protecting my heart from feeling shame for the gospel, but then I actually venture out, reach out, want to participate and share in suffering for the gospel. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Um, um, Share in suffering here is literally take one's share in it. I get my share, please. We like our share of the cake. Do we like our share of suffering? For the gospel. This isn't suffering for our sin. That's stupid. This is suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's righteousness. Timothy, take your share of suffering in Christ for the gospel by the power of God. Just a couple of chapters later, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul will say this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the way, have you noticed 
What a mindset of maturity this is. To live life in such a way that we're not just trying to protect ourselves, but there's a mindset of if I'm faithful in Christ, I, you, me, us together, we will actually share in suffering on some level, in some way, for Christ, for the gospel. That's maturity in Christ. That's so biblical. It's right here before us today, before our very eyes. And notice the end of verse 8. If you had just shared in suffering, you might be discouraged. But the Lord is so awesome, isn't he? I mean, just love and look at God's word here. Look at his word. Look what he says. It's just so awesome. Things you, you might miss at the end of verse 8. Share in suffering for the gospel by, here it comes again, by the power of God. Man, I love that. He's not like, share in suffering, good luck, you're on your own. I am with you always to the end, even to the end of the age. By the power of God, the power of God to witness, the power of God for strength, the power of God for our salvation, the power of God to suffer. God's power to help us, strengthen us, to persevere in our suffering in this life. It's just so, it's so hopeful. Again, power shows up 115 times in the New Testament. And here it is again, the power of God granted to us not just to speak for Christ, but to suffer for Christ. And here's such a strong point of wisdom on this element of God's power here by David Guzik. He says this, he says, the power of God is always there. This is so important, this is maturity. But it is not always there to remove the difficulty. Sometimes it is there to see us through the difficulty. And this is so much of what the Lord does in our lives. The power of God is always there. But it's not always there in the way that we would think. It's not always there to remove the hardship. In fact, we are promised that. But it is there to strengthen us through the difficulty and through the hardship. That's what the power of God does I read a little story from Warren Wiersbe this week when he recalled a story. He says, years ago I read about a Christian who was in prison because of his faith. He was to be burned at the stake and he was certain he would never be able to endure the suffering. One night he experimented with pain by putting his little finger into the candle flame and it hurt and he immediately withdrew it. He says, I will disgrace my Lord, he said to himself. I cannot bear the pain. But when the hour came for him to die, he praised God and gave a noble witness for Jesus Christ. God gave him the power when he needed it, but not before. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So much of our content today is so far beyond the average Western Christian has no clue, no clue what we're talking about here. But we can. God help us to believe, to see, to love. Do not be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony of Jesus Christ, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I must not be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I must share in the gospel. But finally, this point number three, 
And this is where we say, well, how can I be ashamed when? And we're going to see some subpoints here. How can I be ashamed of the gospel? Now check out these next few glorious verses, just in verses 9 and 10. Like, check this out. Who saved us and called us, right? So do not be ashamed of the testimony of Christ, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, of God, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, right? But because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then look at verse 10. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, again, Jesus Christ, who abolished death. Someone say amen to that. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See what Paul's doing here? He's like, hey, Timothy, man. Hey, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Share in suffering. Here's why. Here's why. I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons, Timothy, why you should never and have no need to be ashamed of the gospel because it is absolutely awesome. There's nothing greater, nothing more beautiful, nothing more powerful, nothing more beneficial. There's no greater treasure. There's no more greater promise. There's nothing you could ever want in life other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you be ashamed of the greatest gift ever given to humanity, ever? Unconditional love, perfect sacrifice, total atonement for sins, guaranteed victory in heaven forever. How could you possibly be ashamed of that? Let's break it down here. On the screen for you. How can I be ashamed when, first of all, by grace he saved me? By grace he saved me, verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Because of his own purpose and grace. In Christ we are saved. In Christ we are saved. Save what? Save from sin. Save from death. Listen, loved ones, listen, listen. Discipline yourself. Save from punishment. Saved from the very wrath of God. We don't think about this enough. Every single one of us, me at the front of the line, deserves to be punished by the wrath of God for the punishment of the filthiness and wretchedness of my sin and the broken, awful heart that I have. I deserve eternal punishment in hell apart from God for all the times and all the ways every day I reject the Lord and, and spurned him and mocked him and hated him with my life. I don't think we think enough in what we've been saved from. We so quickly start pointing out to God what he hasn't done for us. God, forgive us for that. Give us for that, Lord. We just we stand in front of you and we start to dare to demand and to point out the things we don't have or the things we think we want or need. It's so wrong. God, for, forgive me for that. Forgive us for that. Just in light of all of this, who are we? How can we be so arrogant and so foolish, so ungrateful? How can we? What an immature and arrogant thought it is to look at God and see what he has not done. But to see the utter horror of hell 
and the anguish of eternal fire and the rotting flesh and curse of sin and the weeping and gnashing of teeth that awaits all those who reject Christ. I think in that light, complaining vanishes very quickly. Instead of complaining what happens, then gratitude multiplies exponentially when you realize that we are children of God and saved from all of this horror by grace. By grace. According to his own purpose, his own purpose and grace, the text says. And verse 9, notice, just in case there's any confusion, verse 9, not because of our works, There's still so many people, maybe some are here right now, different religious backgrounds. You grew up in a system of thought where you think this is taught, the morality of our society is teaching wholesale, if I'm a good person, things will happen and good to me. And it's so much taught in religion, if I'm good enough, I get to heaven. It is not. That That is absolutely false. False teaching, not in the Bible. Right here, right here. I mean, just look at verse 9. Maybe you come from a Catholic background right now. Maybe you come from some kind of religious, um, legalistic background right now. Maybe you just walked into church. Maybe you're listening right now at home and you've never really heard the gospel. You can't earn your way to heaven. You'll never do enough. You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. Like, just look, look at how clear. People don't know God's word. God's word says this, not because of our works. It'll never be accomplished by human merit or human achievement because every single human being ever born has been born into sin and proves it every day we live. It's grace, saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, presented in the word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. Grace, the gift that we cannot earn, the gift that is given to us in what we do not deserve, I'm saved by grace. Let me ask you this. How can we be ashamed of a gospel where the front line of our faith says to us, by grace you have been saved? How can we be ashamed of the greatest gift ever known to anyone who's ever lived? The grace found only in Jesus Christ through faith and what he's done, and his sacrifice on the cross for us that we might live. How can I be ashamed when by grace he saved me? Next, how can I be ashamed when to holiness he called me? Look at verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. This is so good. I love this so much. Why? Christ's followers are not only saved from sin, which is so awesome, but they are called to holiness. When you are justified and converted in Christ, you begin to start the process of looking more like Jesus Christ each day. You are called to holiness who saved and called us to a holy calling. Just think of the love of God who reached down before the ages began and chose you and saved you and redeemed you and reconciled you and now is changing you and making you into the image of a son, one degree of glory to another. How awesome that is. I know some days it doesn't feel like it and so often we just see all the things that aren't happening and yet the reality is we are being renewed internally day by day, 2 Corinthians 4. To holiness he called me. 
Just think about that truth. I had several tears last weekend, well up in my eyes, listening to the baptism after baptism after baptism. Just incredible stories of people who were dead and miserable and hating who they were and had no hope. And then they testified to the fact that the gospel came into their lives and Jesus Christ saved them. And now they're testifying they are new creations. They have new vision. They have new life. They are new people. They are totally transformed in Jesus towards holiness. And you stand back and you're listening again and you're reminded and you're just like, you're just in awe. Like, who can do that? Who can take that person who was just totally destroyed and devastated and now they stand and they say, life isn't perfect for me, but I am moving towards the one who is. Completely different. I am in awe of that. And tell me, how can we be ashamed of the one who has taken us from death to life, from misery to hope? God forgive us. How can I be ashamed of the holiness that is growing within me towards the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I be ashamed of the gospel where I've been saved and called and presently being changed in Christ? Ashamed of that? Really? By the way, just to encourage you greatly, as I've been encouraged recently, speaking of being saved and called, did you know that it is being reported that 3,000 Muslims are coming to Christ a month in Iran right now. You know from 1994, you want to clap for that? We can clap for that. That's a good thing to clap for, amen. From 1994, there were about 100,000 believers in Iran, and right now there's reported to be over 3 million. The pandemic is causing so many Iranians to ask questions they never asked before, and so many are finding their answers in Jesus. Iranian Christ followers are connecting to churches across the world, through online, even to Canada. Maybe some are watching right now. God bless you. The church in Iran is the world's fastest growing one, it is said. One believer said, our Lord God is moving. Not even Satan's strongest army can crush the faith of Christians in our country. Awesome. How can I be ashamed of the one who saved and called me to his holiness? God forgive us. How can I be ashamed when grace he saved me to holiness he called me? And thirdly, when he abolished death for me. How can I be ashamed of the one who abolished death for me? Look at verse 10. Which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, how, how can we be ashamed of this, of Christ? Ashamed of the one who abolished death for us? Before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death was a dreaded enemy. It was a terror and horror to all humanity. But now because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection... Now, instead of death being the terror and horror, now because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we can stand over and look at death and proclaim with Paul and scripture, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Where's your victory, death? You have none. You ain't got nothing on me because Jesus Christ abolished death for me. He abolished it. He killed it. 
the death of death in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. To live in the power and the light that death has been abolished. abolished. Look at how God's word says death is defeated. Life and immortality has been given. You see that word immortality? That means incorruptible. You will never ever decay. The life of the Christ follower is incorruptible. How can I possibly be ashamed of the one who has made us incorruptible? Come on, church. I mean, honestly, how can we be ashamed of the one who's done all this for us? How can we be ashamed, it says, of the the gospel that brought life and immortality to light. Jesus Christ living and dying and raised from the dead, it was his gospel that brought life and immortality to light that we could see in the darkness and the light shines and now we will never ever decay and we've been given an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, First Peter 1. How can I be ashamed of that? How can I be ashamed by grace he saved me to holiness he called me. He abolished death for me. And lastly this, when the day awaits me. How can I be ashamed when the day awaits me? Look at, look at verse 11. The gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. So interesting, eh? Listen, but I'm not ashamed, Timothy. Come on, Paul, how can you not be ashamed this time? But I'm not ashamed. Listen to what he says here. But I'm not ashamed for I know, circle. I know whom I have believed, circle. And I'm convinced, circle, that he is able to guard, circle, until that day. Box around that phrase. What has been entrusted to me. Look at Paul. Look at him. Look at him here, loved ones. Here's the secret. Here's the power. I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed because I know, I believe, I'm convinced. I'm 100% certain of everything that is going to happen to me. I may die, but then I live. I know, I'm convinced, and I believe that he, the Lord, is able to guard until that day, that day, that day, the day of the return of Jesus Christ, what he has entrusted to me. No believe convinced. One of Paul's favorite expressions is that phrase, that day. The day of the return of the Lord. He knows his future. It's 100% guaranteed. Look at Paul's hope, his faith, his certainty. And notice he says, I'm not ashamed. And neither are we, Lord help us. No wonder we should sing with such fervency. We should sing, and Lord haste the day. And Lord haste the day when our faith shall be sight. Oh, loved ones, just think about it. Just, Just think about it. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. In that moment, just imagine with me, in that moment when Jesus Christ returns and you see him coming, will you have one ounce of shame in that moment? One ounce of shame for Jesus. Will you have one speck of regret? Will you have just one tiny iota of embarrassment of Christ? No, not one, not one. Not one. 
Not the smallest part of you will have any sense of shame for Christ in that moment when he comes in his return. Then why should we be ashamed now? That's what the Lord is asking us today. God, help me. God, help our church. God, fill us by the power of God. And remember me, the things that Jesus says, how encouraging to me and challenging this is. But let me end here when Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and of the angels. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says, of that man or woman or student or child, he says, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. May that not be true of any single person that is here right now. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. How can we be? There's nothing else we could ever want or been given. Oh, church, I hope that you are increasing in brokenness as I am, increasing in desire as I am, to have the Lord do precisely and exactly what he would with our lives, that we would be filled with the power of God and give testimony to his light and grace. Oh, Lord, may it be so. Let's pray together. Say what you need to say to God right now. Confess your sin, repent, ask of him, declare your love for him, renew your life in him today. Beg him to use you, beg him to fill you. Whatever you need to say to him right now, Lord, you are working. You are working, it is so clear. And Lord, I pray you are moving. By the Holy Spirit of God, I pray we would not be ashamed of the gospel. We would delight, we would share in suffering for the gospel, listen by the power of God. Draw so near to your church, to your family. Fill, fill us with so much love and power and perspective. Yes, Lord, I pray we would respond now. We, we are given the chance, church, to respond to the gospel, to praise God for the gospel, to rejoice again in the hope that we have, and to beg that Lord would save more and more people that they could share in the same hope and boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.